0: Well, please turn with me to Mark, chapter 6. If you're using a few Bibles, we're on 677. And uh, we're going to cover about half of the chapter today. So I'm just going to read these verses for you to start us off, and then we'll talk about them. So Mark, chapter 6, we're continuing our study of the life of Jesus. Uh, we've just seen some amazing things happen in chapter 5, where he... Uh, chapter 4 and 5, where he stilled the storm, he cast out thousands of demons, uh, he healed a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years and no one could help her, and he raised a little girl from the dead. Uh, some tremendous successes, but now we're going to see some of the challenges of ministry in chapter 6, verses 1 through 29. Jesus went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? And he went out among the villages teaching, and he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged, them not to ta- he charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there, and if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent, and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That's why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, he's Elijah, and others said, he's a prophet like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised." For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for the nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. And the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. When the disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Well, some interesting stories today. Uh, Before we get to that, though, I want to tell you a little bit about what my girls did this week. Uh, A lot of you know that my two oldest girls, Kit and Tally, were on vacation with my parents this week. They weren't with us. Uh, And they had a great time. I knew they were going to have a great time on their own, uh, but I kind of wanted to be a part of it anyway. Uh, So before they left, I wrote them some secret missions. Uh, So I gave them a card for each day that had a secret mission for them. So each day when they got the card... Uh, my mom would give it to them, and they would have to do this mission. Now, they weren't very dangerous missions. I mean, they're only six and four, right? So, weren't very dangerous or very challenging, but they were fun. Things like uh, hug your cousins, um, bury someone in sand, say the Pledge of Allegiance, eat an ice cream cone. So, these are these are missions they could get behind. Uh, now, they had a, they had a good time uh, having this 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 mission. They they thought it was really exciting, uh, thought it was pretty fun. You know, we've got this this purpose on vacation every day. You know, we get a mission from dad. Even though he's not here, uh, he's given us a mission, and they thought that was very exciting. Uh, as I was reflecting on that this week, how they really enjoyed and had a great excitement being involved in this mission, uh, it reminded me that that's, that's basically uh, a trait of all humankind. Uh, we we all were made for a mission. We can all get excited about having a mission, and we, we don't do very well with purposelessness. Uh, you don't have to look very far to see that. You can just... You know, look at the traditional uh, suburban busyness. You see, you know, people uh, people just fill their lives with so many activities uh, because they're afraid of being purposeless or without a mission. Or you can look at the latest celebrity news uh, where you see, you know, someone who's got way too much money and too much free time uh, spiraling downhill into drug and alcohol abuse uh, because they just don't have a purpose and try to fill their lives with something else. Um, You can see it uh, in your own lives are those transition moments, whether it's high school or college or retirement, where you have to ask that question, you know, what am I supposed to do next? And that's really hard and heavy because we all want a purpose. Uh, now, as Christians, uh, you and I have a great advantage because God has actually told us what our purpose is. Uh, it's a purpose that he's made all humans for, but as Christians, we are dialed into that and we know that God has actually given us a mission. Uh, in its broadest sense, that mission uh, is to glorify God. That's what we sang about a few minutes ago. Uh, our mission is to glorify God, that we are to live our whole lives to please him and to honor him. Uh, but more specifically, if we want to know what does that really look like, uh, you could define our mission as simply continuing the mission of Jesus. That is, Jesus came to the earth and he lived the life uh, that all humans are supposed to imitate. And, and he himself instituted the mission of Jesus. And so, if we want to know what's the purpose for our life, we look at Jesus and we say, well, what mission was he on? And we live that mission as well. Okay. So, the mission of Jesus is what we have all been called to live. And if we look at our passage today, we see that that mission has at least two parts. So here we are, we're finally in your your note-taking outline here. Point number one is the mission of Jesus. And the two parts that we have that I see in this passage is, first, to share the gospel of Jesus. Is an important part of that mission. And secondly, to love people the way that Jesus does. So to share the gospel of Jesus and to love people the way Jesus does is, is one way to summarize the mission of Jesus. Uh, now, I'm getting this out of verses 7 through 13, this middle section of our passage where Jesus called the apostles to himself and then he sent them out on a mission, and especially in verses 12 and 13 where it summarizes what these guys did. In verse 12, it says that they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. So we've got there in verse 12 of the disciples engaging in this mission of sharing the gospel of Jesus. They're going out and they're telling people, you need to repent. Now, it's just a a shorthand summary, but clearly they're going out, they're telling people about Jesus. They're saying he's the king, he offers forgiveness of sins, and you need to turn and repent from your sins and follow him. Okay, they're going out and they're sharing the gospel. But they're also, as it says in verse 13, uh, casting out many demons and anointing people with oil who were sick and healing them. Now, you'll notice that if you, if you look at this list and you look at what Jesus has been doing, this is the exact same stuff that Jesus has been doing up to this point. He's been proclaiming a message of repentance, but he's also been going out and loving people. Loving people by healing them, by casting out demons. These are the last two, uh, two Sundays we looked at these stories of how Jesus did this, how he, he goes out and he loves people by bringing restoration in their life, by healing them, by casting out demons, bringing freedom and liberation. And what he's calling the disciples to do is to just imitate him. To go out and share the gospel with folks and then to act it out by loving people and bringing restoration and deliverance from sickness and demon possession. Okay. That's a good summary of what our mission is to be too. In short, our mission is to be like Jesus. To go out and to do the things Jesus did, to love people the way he did, and to tell people about him. Uh, now, I, I need to clarify a little bit, because I don't want to, to get, I don't confuse you. Um, I, I'm not saying, so I'm saying that the, this is the mission that we all have as humans. I'm not saying that we don't have other missions. Okay. So I'm not saying that um, everybody needs to give up everything and go be an evangelist, okay. um, like full-time. Uh, there, there are other missions. We all have vocations that God has made us for. So some of us, God has called us to be teachers, and God has called us to be lawyers, and if you're lucky, engineers. Okay? Um, and, and God has called us to those vocations. And those are specific missions that He calls us to live out our lives that way and to love people in those vocations. Uh, but, but those are uh, those are subsidiary missions. That makes sense. There is one overarching mission that God has called all humans to to love other people and to glorify God by sharing the gospel of Jesus. Okay? Now we can do that within our vocations. I'm not saying vocations are important, vocations are very important. That's just not this sermon, okay? So we'll have another sermon sometime, and we've had ones in the past, celebrating and talking about how in our everyday lives we honor God and fulfill this mission or vocations. But the sermon today, because what the text is about today, is uh, the big mission, the big mission of explicitly sharing the gospel with people and loving them uh, the way Jesus does. All right, I hope that's clear. Uh, uh, So the next thing that we see as we look at this mission, though, in the passage, is that there's two main characteristics it has. Uh, It's a dangerous mission, and it's an exciting mission. So let's talk about the danger first. The mission of Jesus is, quite honestly, uh, dangerous. Uh, We face a number of dangers as we participate in this mission of Jesus. As we take the gospel to people and love people, we face danger. And the first one we will certainly face is personal rejection. We see this in the first section of our passage, verses 1 through 6 in chapter 6. Uh, Jesus goes home to his hometown of Nazareth. Uh, he's had a lot of success all over the place in Jewish and Gentile countries, uh, but he goes back home uh, and he begins to teach in the Sabbath as he does so often. Uh, now, when the people hear him teaching, they've got uh, an interesting response. It, it seems to start positive, uh, as in other places, they say they're astonished. They say, Where does he get these things? What is this wisdom? But it quickly turns negative and they start to question how in the world this guy that they know, that they saw grow up, whose family still lives down the street, could possibly be teaching such amazing things. They say, what is this wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Isn't this the carpenter? How how could Joseph's brother, Jesus, be calling us to repentance? How could this person, Mary's son, the carpenter, how could he be claiming to be the king of the world, the, the Lord of the Sabbath? How could he be forgiving sins? This is offensive. And that's what it says happens in, in the end of verse 3. It says they took offense at him. If you were to read the parallel passage in Luke 4, you'd see they got so angry they went and tried to throw him off a cliff. Okay? They, were, they were not just mildly annoyed, they were severely offended and they rejected Jesus. Now, if we're serious about following Jesus and participating in the same mission he did, we should expect a similar response from people. We should expect to be uh, rejected by people. We should expect them to be offended by us because the gospel is inherently offensive. If you're sharing it correctly, it's offensive. Uh, You've got to remember, the gospel begins with bad news, and nobody likes to hear bad news. The gospel says to every person, you are a bad person. Okay, that's offensive. The Gospel says, you are so bad that you cannot do enough good to make up for how bad you are. Okay, that's offensive. The Gospel says, your only hope is if you uh, for, uh, repent of your sins and submit yourself to the Lordship of Jesus. Okay, that's offensive. See, we like to hear, I'm a good person. Uh, I can make myself uh, better. I can earn God's favor. And at the very least, I can be in control of my own destiny. The Gospel says, no, you have to admit that you're a sinner, that you have no hope in your own, and that you submit your life to the lordship of someone else. If it's very offensive, you share that with people, some of them are going to outright reject you because they don't want to hear that. Now, of course, the gospel is not just bad news. Of course, it's, it's overwhelming good news. So when we hear that bad news, the gospel has an answer for it and says, yes, you are bad, but, but Jesus loved you so much that he died for you. You can't do anything, but Jesus did it all for you. And if you submit to Jesus, his lordship is a good lordship. He's a kind shepherd who will lead you in green pastures and give you a better life than you could have ever had on your own, under your own authority. Okay? It's, it's overwhelming good news, but even so, some folks, when they hear the gospel, will hear only the offense of it, and they will reject you. And I just want to be honest, that's part of the mission of Jesus. You will be rejected by some. It's kind of a dangerous mission. Uh, the second danger that we're likely to encounter is that we're likely to face physical hardship. In verses uh, 7 through 11, uh, Jesus really uh, sets the disciples up to expect physical hardship as they go out on their mission. Verses 8 and 9, he tells them what they're allowed to take. He says, you can take nothing except a staff and some sandals. Okay, so no bread, don't take any extra food. You can't have a bag to carry extra stuff in. Uh, no money in your belts to pay for things. Uh, you can't wear an extra tunic. So you can have your normal, everyday tunic, but the second one would be if you were left outside in the night and it's cold, you'd want a second tunic to keep yourself warm. He says, none of that. He's saying, you guys can't go out with any safety net. He's setting them up so that they can own, they have to be completely reliant on the hospitality of the people who they're going and talking to. So they're going there and he says if you enter a house, so if someone welcomes you in their home, then you stay there and they'll take care of you. Okay. Uh, now, now the unexpected thing, that, that was unexpected to me, uh, I, I was kind of thinking that maybe when Jesus set them up for this hard situation that he'd give them a promise, like you can't take any safety net but don't worry, everywhere you go you'll be accepted and so you won't have to suffer any hardship, so this is just a test of faith, right? So just, just, don't, you know, just take your staff and your sandals, but don't worry, you'll be okay, because someone will always welcome you in, and you'll be provided for. But he doesn't say that. Okay? In, in fact, he tells them, be prepared for people to not accept you. He says in verse 11, uh, th- there will be places. Okay? If, if there's a place that will not receive you, then you, you shake the dust off your feet, and you, kinda, you tell them the judgment's on their own shoulders. But, but notice what he's, he's saying. He's saying there will be places where you will go, and you have nothing but a staff and sandals, and you don't have any money to buy food, you don't have money, money to, to hire someone to take you in, you don't have an extra cloak to keep you warm at night, and you won't have a place to stay. He's setting them up to experience physical hardship. Now, again, I want to be clear for all of you, um, this is a special training mission that Jesus is sending the disciples out on. Uh, these specific instructions aren't repeated for us. This is not. do not, don't leave here thinking, I'm only allowed to have a staff and sandals, I can't have two coats or anything like that. That's not what he's saying here, but the principle is still in play. We need to be prepared to encounter physical hardship. If we're serious about following Jesus and his mission, that's part of the, part of the picture. Um, you, you will be rejected by people, and sometimes that rejection will lead to you encountering physical hardship. It's just part of the package. Uh, even in America, it still happens sometimes. Uh, some of you might be familiar with a guy named Randy Alcorn. Uh, he's an author. Uh, he's uh, written some really good books, specifically about stewardship and, etern- and eternity. Um, when you hear his story, you'll understand why. Um, he was a, a pastor for a while. About 20 years ago, he was, in, he was engaged in the mission of Jesus and he was, um, he was working with some other people to peacefully protest at Planned Parenthood clinics, there where he lived. Um, and, uh, and what happened there was that they were arrested and then they were sued and Planned Parenthood won the case. And part of that uh, result was that Randy Alcorn and the other people were on the hook for $8.2 million dollars. Just for for peacefully protesting at this clinic. Um, So if he had kept working, then Planned Parenthood could have garnished his wages and taken all of his assets. uh, So he didn't want that to happen. So what he had to do, if he didn't want Planned Parenthood to take any of his stuff, uh, was that he had to divest himself of all assets. I think he did this before the actual trial. So he couldn't own anything and then he couldn't earn any more than minimum wage. Because any more that he would earn over minimum wage would go directly to Planned Parenthood. And he gets, he gets like half a million dollars in royalties from the books that he writes. So he had to get rid of all those, get rid of all his income, and only make minimum wage. And for 20 years he's done that. Okay? God's provided in lots of different ways, but for 20 years he's lived uh, with that sort of hardship. And now, and in a global perspective, that's really not a big deal. Okay, it's, it's kind of, I mean, it sounds like a big deal to us, but he's, you know, he hasn't really suffered that much, because, again, this is America, and we have it really easy here. Uh, but but he experienced some sort of physical hardship for these 20 years. Now, he'll tell you it's been the greatest thing that ever happened to him, and this is why some of his books on stewardship and eternal perspectives on suffering have been so good and helpful, because he's lived this out. His name's Randy Alcorn, again, if anyone's w- interested in finding out more about him. But but he's experienced some hardship, and this is just one example of what happens. When you're serious about following Jesus, sometimes people reject you, but they won't stop with just rejecting you personally. They're going to persecute you, and they're going to try to make your life difficult, and sometimes it happens. I I just want to be honest with you. When you follow Jesus, the mission is dangerous. Um, He doesn't promise your best life now, instead, He sets you up to suffer. You will have hardship. Um, of course, it, it gets worse. It'll get better eventually, but it gets worse. Uh, we also possibly face death. So we've seen the story of John the Baptist in verses 14 through 29. Uh, this, this section tells the story of John's beheading and in, in a flashback. John came before Jesus did, but he did the same mission where he's calling people to repentance and he's loving people like Jesus did. Um, and John spoke the truth to people who were in power And they didn't just reject him personally, they put him in jail and ultimately they killed him. Uh, See, there was this King Herod uh, and and his wife Herodias. Now, both of them were married before to other people. Uh, Herod put away his wife and Herodias put away her husband. The the really shocking thing was that Herodias, the woman, was married to Herod's brother. So they got divorced and then he married Herodias and John says flat out, Guys, you can't do this. Uh, It's not lawful for you to marry your brother's wife. So he got arrested for that. And Herodias, the woman, she was so upset with this, she didn't let it go. And she did everything she could to scheme and manipulate to make sure that John the Baptist got killed for what he did. You know, It's a, it's a pretty uh, seamy story. But the daughter comes in, she does the sultry dance for the king, uh, and he agrees to give her whatever she wants. So she goes to her mom and the mom says, well, just ask for John the Baptist's head. So she does and Herod feels obligated to do it. And so he goes and he has John the Baptist beheaded. Now, by and large, as far as I know, this sort of stuff isn't happening in our neighborhood. Um, but it's happening around the world. Uh, and if you want to find out more information about your brothers and sisters around the world who are experiencing situations like this where they're, they're uh, following Jesus and putting their lives on the line, um, there's lots of places you can go to find out more. One of them, it's easy to remember, is called uh, persecution.com. This is an organization called Voice of the Martyrs and they track our brothers and sisters around the world who are in hostile places like China and Iran and Pakistan, places where it's not legal to be a Christian or to share your faith with other people. And people are putting their lives on the line. Right now, today, your brothers and sisters around the world are putting their lives on the line as they follow in the mission of Jesus because sometimes when you follow Jesus, it means that you'll face death. Okay, it's a dangerous mission. Have I scared you yet? Nobody's left yet, but maybe you're just being polite. Um, I just want to be honest, though. Like, this is what the Bible says. If you follow Jesus, you can expect rejection. you um, You can expect hardship. You can even expect there to be death. There's a lot of danger in this mission. It's not like the missions I gave my girls. You know, there's no danger in eating ice cream or burying a relative in sand. But there is danger in following Jesus. Now, at this point, it would be um, the sane question to ask, well, then why would anyone do it? If there's so much danger involved in following Christ, why would anyone do it? Um, Which is really kind of similar to asking the question, why would anyone have kids? Um, Because having kids is a dangerous mission. There's certainly a lot of hardship involved. Um, From what I hear, uh, pregnancy and childbirth itself is not a lot of fun. Uh, and then, they come home and they take over your whole life. Uh, and they, t- they steal your sleep, and they make demands, and they yell at you. They don't thank you nearly enough. And then, they finally grow up, and they've got some independence. And then, you realize you don't have any control on how they turn out. And you start to worry, and you're, you're, you're concerned, and then they've got, you know, and, and you just wonder, was this, you know, was all worth it? And apparently, raising children costs like 200 to 300 thousand dollars per kid from 0 to 18 now. So, have three kids, that's like three quarters of a million dollars. You know, why would anyone have kids? Seriously, it's so hard. You know, this is a difficult mission. It's better just to not do it. Um, but all of us know that there are benefits that far outweigh the hardship um, that anything, in fact, that's worth doing is going to have some difficulty associated with it. Uh, the joys of having children, the excitement of having children, far outweighs the cost and even the, the possible danger of having kids. And that's what it's like in following Jesus. Sure, there's a lot of hardship. Sure, there's uh, there's danger. There's rejection. There's um, There's hardship. There's possible death. But even so, the promise of the Gospel is that it's so much more exciting, so much more worth it to follow Jesus, that the things that might seem like dangers pale in comparison to the truth of the the excitement and the joy and the beauty of following Jesus. See, folks, the mission of Jesus is exciting. Sure, there's danger, but danger is a minor theme. The major theme in following Jesus is the joy and excitement that comes when you do it. I've got three reasons here why we can be excited about following Jesus on his mission. The first one is that Jesus really changes lives. He, He really does. In chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, the focus is on rejection. uh, That here in Jesus' hometown, people reject him. That there's only a few people who have faith to be healed. Uh, But it stands out as an odd exception in the overall story of Jesus. Uh, What we've seen so far is that everywhere he goes, there are crowds following him and there are tons and tons of people who are coming to him for healing and he's delivering them and there's amazing things happening. See, the weird thing is when he goes to his hometown, nobody uh, honors him. He's rejected by people. But the usual thing that happens is that Jesus changes lives. He even notes in verse 4 that it's, it's weird that a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown. See, the, the, the rejection is an exception. Jesus changing lives is the normal way it works. And that's encouraging for us because we can think, well, danger, rejection. I'm just going to share the gospel with people and everybody's going to reject me and it's going to be horrible. But no, what actually happens is that God works in people's lives and Jesus brings change. I mean, just think about your own lives. Everybody sitting here is a testimony to the fact that Jesus really changes lives. That not everybody rejects him. You think about your own story, the trajectory that you were on before you encountered Jesus. Or think of a close friend or someone that you know who has been saved by Jesus Christ. You, you think about what they were headed for, what you were headed for, and what Jesus did in your life. He changed you. you know, I, I think about a friend of ours that we knew in college uh, who was an agnostic, just didn't have much hope in life. Um, he was a couple years ahead of me, and so there were upperclassmen who'd been working on him for a while, and over a course of time, God just worked in his life that he repented, and he became a Christian, and then he just started hanging out with Jen and me. It was like a classic third wheel in our relationship, but it was great. Um, we found some three-handed card games to play. We'd hang out together, and he'd ask questions and just become this growing, hungry person. He wanted to know more about Jesus, and now he's just this, this great guy who's following Jesus. He's got a wonderful family. He's passing on a godly heritage, and, and I look at the guy who he is now, the guy he was, and I think Jesus did that. He did that. This is the mission of Christ. Not everybody rejects. A lot of people have their lives completely changed. Um, now now we've got some friends who have had um, you know, a number of kids and they're, they're pretty sure they're done. But every so often the mom gets baby fever. You, know, you ever heard about this? Like where, where you, you just kind of get this irrational desire. You know, I just want another kid. You kind of forget about all the hardship and you just think, oh, I need, I need another child. Well, when I think about people getting saved, I kind of get baby fever. <laughs> you know, like I just kind of think it doesn't matter how, how hard it's going to be. You know, sure, when when people get saved, they've got all these questions, and they take all your time, and they they still screw up a lot, and they don't know how to act around you. But it's just so wonderful. It's so wonderful to see new life, and I just I want this place to be a place where a year from now we look around, and we see, you know, this person had their life changed by Jesus last year, and and he did that, and that's an exciting mission. It's going to cost some stuff. It's going to be dangerous and hard, but it's worth it. It's worth it. The other exciting thing about following Jesus on the mission is that he actually lets us be involved. Uh, when I gave those, my girls their secret missions this week, um, I don't think they would have enjoyed it very much if I said, hey girls, I've written these secret missions, now will you guys just sit there and watch while I do them for you? I don't think they would have enjoyed that very much. Uh, part of the excitement for them on this, this thing, this task I gave them, was that they actually got to do it. Um... And that's Jesus' plan all along. It's always been his plan for us not to just sit back and watch him do things, but for us to get in the game, to be involved and to follow him. Um, You you notice this in our passage um, also, uh, when you see Jesus calling the twelve disciples and he sends them out to teach and uh, to have um, authority over unclean spirits. Uh, This was part of his plan the whole time. Back in chapter 3, when he called the apostles um, in 3.14, uh, he appointed the apostles and he said so that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Okay, So all the way back in chapter 3 when he called the twelve, that was his plan. They're going to hang out with me and then I'm going to send them out and they're going to teach and they're going to cast out demons. And so here he comes to that plan and this is how he works. Jesus uh, trains people to be with him and then he sends them out to go and do the work of the ministry. And that's still the pattern that he follows for us. He calls us to follow him. We are with him. We are trained by him and by his word. And then he calls us out to go be involved in the ministry. So when we say that Jesus changes lives, we don't just sit here and say, I can't wait for Jesus to change lives. We say, Jesus changes lives, so I'm going to get in the game and I'm going to go be a part of that watching Jesus change lives. Um, and it, that's exciting. It's exciting that we get to be in the game. You know, It's one thing, it's one form of exciting to watch Jim Tomey or Albert Pujols play baseball. Okay, It's another thing to be Jim Tomey or to be Albert Pujols. Right? I don't care if you're a Cubs fan, it's really exciting to watch Albert Pujols. He's an amazing baseball player. Okay? How much more exciting to actually be Albert Pujols, to be up there on the plate with the game on the line, hitting home runs. You know, It's just amazing. It would be so exciting. It's one thing to watch James Bond in a James Bond movie, not that I'm... Not that I'm, like, you know, tacitly approving of James Bond movies or anything. Uh, but, um, you know, they're okay in their place. Uh, it's one thing to watch James Bond, okay? It's another thing to be James Bond. You know, you can watch him diffusing the bomb, but wow, to really diffuse the bomb, now that's exciting. Dangerous, yeah, but it's exciting. Like, it's one thing to watch um, the, the work of the ministry go on. It's one thing to hear stories from like Randy and Kay Tharp and say, you know, last month we saw six people come to Christ and we celebrate that and we're a part of that team, we celebrate that, but how much more exciting is it for us to be able to share those stories with people and say, we saw six people come to Christ last month. You know, we don't have to just be the people who hear the stories about all the things that God is doing and kind of celebrate and say, that's amazing what God's doing out in the world. We can be a part of that team and say, look what Jesus is doing here. Look what he did in our lives. He, let me tell you about this conversation I had with this person at the gym this week, you know, where they had this, this need, and I prayed for them, and they were comforted. And we can share these sorts of stories. We can be a part of the game, and that's exciting. It's not just stuff that Jesus does with superstars somewhere else. He works with you and with me, and we can be a part of that. Of course, we can all sit here and say, Okay, yeah, but I'm not Albert Pujols. <laughs> uh, I am not James Bond. I'm not qualified for this mission, okay? But that's the last exciting thing, is that Jesus actually gives us everything that we need to succeed. He gives us everything that we need to succeed. The story of John in, in verses 14 through 29 is notable for the way that it foreshadows the death of Jesus. Um, there's a, there's a, a righteous person. Uh, the ruler knows that they're Righteous. Uh, And yet, uh, opposition forces come in and pressure the ruler to hand over the righteous person to death, and the righteous person is killed. Uh, And it's intentional that this story here foreshadows the death of Jesus, because the death of Jesus is the most important story in the gospel and in the world. Uh, It's the central story for everything that we do, and that's everything that we need to accomplish this mission. The gospel of Jesus provides everything that we need to be successful in accomplishing his mission. Um, see, first of all, it provides the message for us. The gospel of Jesus is the message that we need to go out on this mission. Uh, you don't have to know a whole lot of fancy stuff. You don't have to know, you really don't have to know a lot of stuff at all. All you have, If you're a Christian, if you believe the gospel, then you have everything that you need to share the gospel. Okay? Listen, there's no special training required. There's no special degree. Uh, you just have to know, okay, I'm a sinner. I've been saved by the grace of Jesus. He died for me. Um, he gave me his righteousness. If I put my faith in him, I'm saved by grace. Like, that's, that's the gospel. It's, it's really simple. It's what we all believe. It's what we preach here every week. And that's all we need to know if we're going to be a part of this mission. That, that's all we have to share. There's no special knowledge. You're, you're talking with somebody and they ask you, well, you know, so my life's falling apart. What do I need to, to do to become a Christian? You say, well, you just admit that you're a sinner. That Jesus died for you. That he paid the penalty for your sins. Put your faith in him, accept that free gift. That's all. That's it. Yeah, that's it. That's how it works. And of course, I'm always available for you. If you know, you call my cell phone. You're like, Pastor, I don't know what's going. I don't know what to do. I don't do. I'll talk you through it. You know, be like landing in an airplane, right? I'll be your air traffic control. Um, but it's it's not that hard. The gospel of Jesus is the message. It's all we need. Uh, but the gospel of Jesus also provides the power. Because the other amazing thing about the Gospel is is you get forgiveness of sins, but you also get the Holy Spirit. So all of us sitting here today who have received Jesus as our Savior have the Holy Spirit in us. So God himself is in you, uh, which means that when you go out to share with someone, uh, when you go out to love somebody, you're doing it in the power of Jesus. Uh, He'll give you the words to do. He'll give you the the leading. um, He'll give you the the courage and the power to to go out and to do it. Uh, You have the Holy Spirit. Uh, it also, the gospel of Jesus also provides the motivation for doing this. Okay, so so we got the message, we got the power, but we could still be sitting back at home. But no, the gospel provides the motivation. Uh, first of all, it overcomes our fear. So let's flick back, look at all these dangers. I mean, we we fear personal rejection. Um, well, we can overcome that. We can overcome that. We don't have to be afraid of man, because in the gospel, uh, God declares that He loves us. He loves us so much that Jesus died for us. So who cares if everybody in the world rejects us? We've got Jesus. Um, We could be afraid of physical hardship, uh, but God says in the Gospel, I love you. I love you so much I've given you my son. If I've given you my son, I will also along with him graciously give you all things. He says, I'm going to provide for you. I'll take care of you even in the midst of hardship. And Randy Alcorn's story um, is a testimony to that, how God has provided for 20 years through not owning anything, through only earning minimum wage. So God will take care of us. Uh, And in in the issue of death, we can be afraid of death, but the Gospel says, um, you know, Jesus says, I've already paid the penalty for your death. So when you die, you don't have anything to fear because you get to be with me. I said it last week this way, that, that there's no scenario in which we are not victorious. That's what it means to be a Christian. There's no scenario in which we don't win. There's nothing to be afraid of. So we've got great motivation. We overcome that fear but we also have the great love as we understand the gospel, the grace that Jesus has poured out on us. Uh, how much he loves us and how much he loves others that motivates us to go out and to share with those who are perishing. I've got two ground-level applications for us this week, two, two baby steps um, and don't, don't be insulted by that, but I'm just saying we need to start somewhere. And I'm talking about my own life. Sometimes I get fired up by sermons like this or, or texts that talk about this. And I think, all oh, right, I need to go share the gospel. And, I, and it's just such a big, uh, big barrier. It's like, well, how do I go, how do, I go do that? Um, you know, I, you know, and I just end up staying at home because it's just that much easier. And I feel like I can't get over the hurdle of, of encountering someone to share the gospel. Like, where do, where do I do this? How do I do this? So I want to give us two baby steps just to get the ball rolling for us. Um, the first one is the thing I mentioned in the announcements earlier today, uh, that this Tuesday night, I'm going to be here at the church at 7 o'clock, uh, and whoever comes, we're going to go out, uh, and we're going to start talking with the people that we've been praying for. Uh, we've been praying for families around the church, people who've got kids that live near the church. Um, I've already started doing this some, and I want you to come with me. We're just going to go out, and we're, gonna share, we're just going to introduce ourselves to people. So, so we're not even getting to the point where we're going out and we're trying to, to share the gospel with them. If the opportunity comes, sure, whatever. Um, but all we're trying to do is just to meet them, to start building bridges where we would have a place to say, hey, we love you, we're praying for you, is there anything that we can pray for you about? Okay. That, that's one thing that we can do to just kind of get the ball rolling. Okay. Another thing that we can do, we've already announced before, um, we've got those flyers in the back for VBS. Um, now, I'm not saying that if you hand out a flyer you fulfilled the Great Commission. But it's a baby step. It's something to get the ball rolling, right? We can have an excuse to go talk to our neighbors, to introduce ourselves. And it, maybe, maybe they don't come to VBS. Okay, that's fine. But you've started some, you start a conversation. You, you've identified yourself as someone who cares about them and wants to interact with them. Okay, That's how it starts. The kingdom of God starts small and gets big. We sow the seed and we see what God does. So it's not a super dramatic thing. I'm not saying we're all going to go from here. We're going to save the world this week. When I come back here, I want to see the pews doubled in in size. Whatever God does, that's great. But but what we want to do is we want to engage in this mission. It can be dangerous. It's not really dangerous for us. Not here, not right now, but it might be someday. We face the danger of personal rejection. We might face the danger of personal hardship. Um, We may someday, somewhere, face the danger of death. But it's worth it. okay? It's worth it. Jesus can use the the, the the feeble little offerings that we can offer to really change someone's life, their eternal destiny. And he gives us everything that we need to succeed. Um, let's pray. Uh, Father, this is um, by no means the end of Uh, of of all you have to say about your mission and about sharing uh, the good news of Jesus with others. Um, It is, in fact, uh, the smallest beginning. But Lord, would you empower us um, to take an initial step? Uh, And and Lord, the ideas I've had for ways to take baby steps are just my ideas um, and that I submit to your leadership and to your work in the lives of all the people here that you would lead all of us to, to identify what, what are the things in our own lives? Um, wh- where are the areas where we can just take a baby step to just get to know somebody? To just create the possibility where we might be able to have a relationship with a non-Christian and share your life and your love with them. Um, and that there are some folks here who have been diligently doing that for many, many years and have seen the fruit that you've given and I thank you for that. I pray that you bring more fruit. Um, Lord, we... You know, we we just have that baby fever. We have that desire for you to bring new converts to life in you. Um, And so we pray that you would do it, and we pray that you would show us how to get in the game, how to be faithful, and how to see you do wonderful things, that we might be able to share stories with others about all that you have done in our midst and in our day. Uh, We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.